Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. And do not make the Holy Spirit sad. The Spirit is God's proof that you belong to Him. God gave you the Spirit to show that God will make you free when the final day comes. So as we begin our message this morning, I am going to read some comments that you may have heard people say, maybe some of them you've even said yourself. But just listen to these, and I will give a little intro each time as to what type of voice this is. So first of all, we have a woman saying, how in the world can she afford that dress? The kid's saying, I want that. It's not fair. I never get what I want. And then an adult, let me offer some constructive criticism. James said, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A teenager, shut up. Mom, what were you thinking? Don't you care about your reputation? I wish I'd never given birth to you. And then a man, come on, Raph, get some glasses, you homer. Matthew 12, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Teen girl, nice outfit, Megan. Which Goodwill store did you shop at? Man, I want a divorce. A parent, why can't you be more like your sister? Proverbs 12, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. No, officer, I had no idea I was going that fast. An adult saying, I don't care if I ever see her face again, but I'll make certain that everyone knows what she did to me. A parent, why are you even trying out for that team? You're not good enough to make that team. James said, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. A woman, I wouldn't trust that man if he was the last man on the face of the earth. And a teen saying, I hate you. You don't care about me. Proverbs, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. A teen, you know I'm so frustrated right now, I'd rather talk about it tomorrow. A woman, I forgive you. A man saying, I love you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. As you listen to those statements, were there some phrases that maybe someone has said to you recently? Maybe you have actually used one or more of them yourself on a recent basis. We are continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to concentrate on something that a lot of us struggle with, and that is our speech. And the Apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he is addressing a number of the different needs that they have, some areas that they need to actually work on. And one of the areas they were struggling with was speech. It was actually one of the top areas that they struggled with. So that really comes as no surprise to us, Because regardless of your personality type or your spiritual maturity or your age, 
the odds are that you struggle in some way with your speech. So Paul goes through this section on the tongue, and he starts by telling people to switch from falsehood to truthfulness. Deceptive words, careless exaggerations, false flattery, conveniently neglecting to share all the facts. This is what we're talking about. Now, in the course of 30-some years, I repeat some stories. And this was a life event from 2009. I shared it a number of years ago, but we've probably had a couple hundred new people since then, so it's fresh to a lot of you. But our youngest daughter, Ainsley, her soccer team made it to the the under-18 national championships that were held in Edmonton. And I have a cousin that lives there, so my wife Pat and I went along with the team, stayed with my cousin, rented a car. And after we got home, I got an email from the rental company saying that I had a speeding ticket, that I had been caught by one of those cameras. And the speeding ticket was $104, and it was the exact same amount as the tax that they threw on me when I got to their dealership. I thought I had covered all the things at home. So I said, "Uh, I'm not so certain here. Can you give me some proof? And while I was talking about this, my wife said, oh, that was probably me on Friday night. Ainsley and I, she had some time off, and we went to the West Edmonton Mall, and we were late for her curfew coming back. And I thought, yeah, that's probably what it was too. But then... The next day, I receive an email from the rental company, and there's a picture in there, a picture of our car, and I'm behind the wheel, gritting my teeth, rushing to get to her game on Saturday morning. And apparently, I didn't tell my wife right away, and there was quite a, a delay there. So that was exactly the type of thing that I'm talking about here, where we don't share all the facts. So we live in a society that promotes the white lie. And salespeople are conditioned to think, it's okay to stretch the facts a little. You know, this is all part of the business. It's what is expected. So you can go into a car dealership like I did, and I say, see my car there? What do you think that's worth? And the dealer said, $5,500 probably. So I went in a month later. I had been looking at this brand new vehicle that I really liked. And I was then ready to make a deal with them. But now, of course, my vehicle, they're only offering me $3,000 for it. They've got me in there. I really like that new vehicle. But we see that type of thing all the time. People will say whatever it takes to enhance their position and detract from someone else's position. So in verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So why does the Bible speak so much about honesty? Well, falsehood undermines trust, it destroys relationships, and it also damages our witness. And I love that last phrase because there's a strong encouragement to tell the truth because we are all members of one body. That means we're all part of the same family. That's exactly who we are. And another reason to tell the truth is because lies are characteristic of the way that the devil operates. His first time on the scene in the Bible 
is in Genesis and in the Garden of Eden, and he is lying to to Eve and twisting what God has told her. And that's why Jesus describes him later by saying in John 8, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to do what he wants. He was a murderer from the beginning and was against the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he shows what he is really like because he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we twist the truth or we distort the statistics or intentionally deceive someone, we look more like Satan than we do like God at that moment. And he wants us to reflect the character of God. And the Bible says that it's impossible for God to lie. So in one of the verses I used last week in Ephesians 4.15, Paul said, No, speaking the truth with love, we will grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. So there it is, speaking the truth in love. So do you gloss over the ethical inconsistencies of your boss or friends, or do you courageously speak up within a framework of love? Proverbs 12.19 tells us, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. So if you always tell the truth, then you're not going to have to worry about having a photographic memory. You're not going to have to remember all those other things that you've had to say in order to keep that story going. Your word should stand. If you don't think that God has a strong opinion on the topic, then look at Acts chapter 5, and we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lie about how much they received when they sold a piece of property. And then they gave a gift of money to the church. And this is what they did. Let's say they sold the land for $1,000. And the land was really worth about that amount. Today it would be worth $2,000 or more. And they go to the church with $500. And they tell the leaders of the church, this is what we sold our property for. We are giving the whole thing to the church. So they were looking tremendously generous here. They supersized their generosity. And the result was that God struck them dead for lying. And you may say, wow, that's pretty severe, especially when they were being so generous. They gave $500 to the church. But if they had just said, we're giving 50% of this, that would have been fine. But they lied to God and to the Holy Spirit, saying that was everything. So early on, God was sending a very clear message to the church. And the message was this. When a Christ follower opens his mouth, I want the truth to be the only thing that comes out. So God wants honest speech, and he wants us to be distinctive so that we stand out from the rest of the world. So we switch from falsehood to truthfulness. And then secondly, he wants us to switch from impulse to control. Because anger is expressed verbally, and it might go to shouting, accusing, cursing, even verbal insults or abuse. And when words start to fly like that, the tension escalates, and then it can be murder in your heart. It can even grow to physical murder. So we need to think before we speak. But the skeptic will try to justify their anger by saying, Well, Jesus got mad, and he got upset. He cleansed the temple and drove the money changers out of there. 
But you need to read that story because more took place. Jesus actually found what was going on the night before. And then he knew it was wrong, and he was deciding the best way in which he could take care of that problem. So he carefully calculated what to do the next day to take down the cheating and desecration that he saw. So this wasn't some random spur-of-the-moment outburst. He didn't just walk into the temple and, and then oh, look at this and throw his hands up in the air and get angry. It was a calculated thing to take care of an issue. Here in Ephesians, Paul chooses his words carefully. So in verse 26, When you are angry, do not sin, and be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Now this is wisdom for all of us, especially for married couples. Don't go to bed mad. And my wife Pat and I, we have attempted to live by that. We've done pretty well. Although I started a little fib this morning in the first service. I said, but there was a time when we were up for three, four days in a row. But that's not true. That was another example of trying to just stretch the truth a little bit. I had been up all night on occasions with my kids when they were small, and then even with grandchildren and other things that have taken place in life. But our, our language is to build other people up. That is the whole thing that Paul is talking us to do. And Paul is saying, when it comes to your speech, don't let hurtful words fester or grow. If you don't deal with an issue and just kind of hope it will go away. That issue is just going to get bigger and bigger and it will become the size of an elephant and it will cause more conflict as you try to avoid it as it grows and grows. So when I preach, I try to weigh every word that I choose because if I say something that is biblically inaccurate or slightly deceitful or if a story has a non-truth about someone here, that can have significant fallout. Do I still make mistakes? Oh, yeah. And I sometimes think I have the spiritual gift of getting things backwards. I even type that way sometimes, putting down the word toe, and I get T-E-O is there. It might actually be something going on in my brain. But our leaders here have called these Gregisms, and they've got the top 25 list over the years that I've been here. And ask them for the list sometime because there are some doozies in there. But what if Christians were to quickly run their words through a filter and just ask themselves if what I am saying or about to say is true and edifying. Do I have the individual's best interest at heart? And is it loving? That discipline would probably reduce the number of words that we say, and it would certainly filter out the wrong things that we would say. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul said, Brothers and sisters, Think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. So you say, well, that's not a filter for our words. That's actually more like a switch that we throw for what's in our heart. But I want you to see that the two actually go hand in hand. And it starts with cleaning your heart. So in Matthew 12, Jesus addressed this. He said, the mouth speaks the things that are in the heart. Good people have good things in their hearts, and so they say good things. 
But evil people have evil in their hearts, so they say evil things. And I tell you that on the judgment day, people will be responsible for every careless thing they have said. The words you have said will be used to judge you. Some of your words will prove you right, but some of your words will prove you guilty. So maybe a simpler way to say that is, may the words of my heart and the, and the meditations, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. So if you begin to apply some type of filter and allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign to curb any profanity or control your anger or temper your criticism, just think about how your speech would change. And would those people around you realize that there's something distinctive about a person who chooses to follow Jesus Christ? Would they notice some difference in you compared to the other people around you? So guard your tongue and switch from impulse to control. But also switch from tearing down to building up. In verse 29, Paul said, When you talk, do not say harmful things but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. So your language should actually build people up rather than tear them down. And two of the Ten Commandments actually deal with speech. God says, do not lie and do not use the Lord's name in vain. And J. Vernon McGee explained that to mean do not reduce God's name down to where it's meaningless. And then Paul goes on in verse 30 to say, And do not make the Holy Spirit sad. The Spirit is God's proof that you belong to Him. God gave you the Spirit to show that God will make you free when that final day comes. So in other words, he's saying, Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what He lays on your heart, and then your speech will reflect it. And if you are a Christian, you share the name of Christ, and there must be a commitment to protect his honor and his name. So what are you willing to fight for? What does it take for you to stand up for the name of Jesus Christ? Our choice of words should build up and honor the name of God rather than just kind of chip away at who he is. The passage here in Ephesians 4 stresses that we show respect and honor through the words we choose. But in recent years, there has been a moral fallout in the profanity that people spew out because we also see their casual disregard for the way in which they speak of God and how they use his name. And we know that the Holy Spirit must be grieved. And sometimes we even see it within the Christian community. People are guilty of being careless. So let me encourage you to take it up a notch and say, and that may take a different form for each of you. It might mean a little less of profanity or crude comments around the workplace. It might mean speaking the truth in love. It might mean asking your Christian friends to hold you accountable. And you say, look, if you hear me say anything in conversation today, anything that might be too casual about God, will you say something to help me break that habit? See, in this section, we're talking about building up instead of tearing down. And yet we have torn down the deity and reverence of God through the careless treatment of his name. 
We don't like it when someone even messes up our name when we go to a conference and our name tag is wrong. And yet, that's personal. Your name is who you are. But then maybe we'll go to a movie where his name is drugged through the dirt and we actually pay for that to be used in our presence. So gradually it does chip away. You hear it at work. You hear it at the game. And in time, what used to cause you to blush, now it doesn't even phase you at all. And some of you may hear God's word trash so frequently and it becomes accepted and you say things like oh my god and you don't even know you're saying it so let's take some steps to grow in this area we can't control what we've said in the past but we can control what we say in the future back prior to COVID-19 we had pizza with the pastor on the first Sunday of each month which was an opportunity for those who were new to us in the previous month to come and meet with James and I and we shared some more about the church got to know them a little bit and we were meeting one day with about half a dozen people and there was one middle-aged couple that were new and they were sharing their story and then they explained how they came to attend our church and he said, I do business with one of your members, and he is the owner of the company, and I'm there quite often, and I see the way that he relates to his employees. His wife has even been there on occasion, and I see the way that he talks to her. And I thought, you know, the way that man talks, I'm sure that the church he attends must be an okay church. At some point in his life, our guy had thrown that switch, and he was using the type of speech that was God-honoring, even out in the workplace. So then we are to switch from bitterness to forgiveness. And Paul begins this section by reminding believers that we have someone living inside of us, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. And we need to rely upon that presence. So verses 31 and 32 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So slander is misrepresentation, and it's actually character assassination. Bitterness is a long-standing resentment, or a spirit that just refuses to be reconciled with someone. And Chuck Swindle says, as you can see up here, there is no prison more damaging than the bars of bitterness that will not let the battle end. So bitter people find clever ways in order to get even with their tongue and their tactics. But Christians, we are intentional, and we have thrown that switch from bitterness to forgiveness. And you say, well, that's a pretty significant leap, isn't it? And that's true, but Jesus set the example for us when he went to the cross for our sins. Instead of bitterness, he extends forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. So Jesus said, in the same way that you forgive others, you will be forgiven. So his words give people a peek into your, our hearts. And someone said, you can tell more about a person by what he says about others than by what others have to say about him. And Jesus says no one can tame the tongue. But he doesn't say don't try to do it. 
And here in our text, Paul gives us some practical ways in which we can switch our speech. See, when you gave your life to Christ, you, he gave you a gift, the Holy Spirit, and this passage talks about it as Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that great physician can transform your words if you rely on him and if you allow him to change you. But he doesn't say, don't try. He says, let the Holy Spirit work in you and change your speech. Many of you have probably heard of Lee Strobel. He was a, he's a very convincing apologist who has written numerous books on how we can prove our faith. But what you may not know is that he used to be a staunch atheist prior to becoming a Christian. And this is what he wrote. He said, My daughter Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. And all she had known in those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. And I remember I came home one night and I kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. And I am ashamed to think of the times Allison hid in her room to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. So at the age of five, what was she saying? She wasn't saying, I've read all the things to prove that God exists. What she's saying is, I knew the way my dad was before, how he acted, how he spoke, and I know the way that he is acting and speaking now. And I like the difference, and I want to sign up for this. What spiritual truths do you need to hear Jesus speak into your life today? How about your speech? I began with some phrases that we've heard many times and some of them that we've actually used ourselves. But to end this message, I am going to ask you to just close your eyes and I'm going to use some words that were spoken years ago by someone who loves you very, very much. So just close your eyes, and maybe these words will speak to you in some specific way today. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe today you say, I want my speech to honor God, and I, I want to build up others with my speech. I'm tired of the lies, the put-downs, and the trashing of God's name. And I admit that I have a critical tongue, and I'm willing to change. Or maybe you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and you are saying, I feel the same way but I don't have the Holy Spirit living inside me to help me make those changes. Well, what you need to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and commit your life to him, and the Holy Spirit will come in and will enable you to make those changes if you put your trust in him.